Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet. Your eyes open and your mind out there, way out there, turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. It's been another busy news week, and we like to review the major stories of the week here on the Black Information Network. Today, we are joined by Black Information Network news anchors, John Marshall and Nicole Deal to discuss this week's major stories. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. All right, Nicole Deal, welcome back to the show. How, how's your week been? Hey, Ramses. Hey, it's it's going good. I'm making it do what it do. Good, good. All right. And we got Mr. Hollywood himself, John Marshall. Talk to me, man. How's your week? <laughs> Man, black people are doing things that they should not be doing. And I cannot wait to say I cannot (laughs) wait to say it. (laughs) Let's let's get into it, Ramses. Let's 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 start. But first off, we're going to start with the conservative talk show host, Charlie Kirk. Of course, you know, he caused some controversy last week after he stated that affirmative action has helped black women like Michelle Obama steal slots of prominence from white males. Nicole, first, let's start with you. Tell us about the story. And then, John, of course, we're going to get your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Um, He's a conservative talk show host and he got on his national conservative platform and just said something just Crazy. I mean, let, let's just start out with the facts of, of what he actually said. Uh, and keep in mind, the, the topic is affirmative action. So this is what he said. Three weeks ago, if you would have said that Joy Reid and Michelle Obama and Sheila Jackson Lee and Katanji Brown Jackson were affirmative action picks, we would have been called the racist. But now they're coming out and they're saying it for us. They're coming out and they're saying I'm only here because of affirmative action. Yeah, we know. You do not have the brain processing power to otherwise be taken really seriously. You had to go steal a white person's slot to go be taken somewhat seriously. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. I mean, this makes me want to just... Pardon me for saying this. This just makes me want to get ghetto. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm over here clapping while I'm talking. I kicked my shoes off. I took my earrings off. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all jokes aside, though, this is highly disrespectful. Yeah. 
It is filled with racist undertones. It's insulting, absolutely insulting and ignorant. Um, as a black woman, I am personally and professionally offended by this. Mm. This is an affront on every black woman in this country, because if you are coming for the highest of them, then you are coming for the lowest of them. Mm-hmm. Within a few minutes, this white man managed to take four high achieving, successful, intelligent black female minds and make an attempt to dumb them down along with all of their accomplishments and have the unmitigated audacity to include Michelle Obama. Mm. I mean, (laughs) for him to get on a national platform and say something this impertinent is absolutely disturbing. Um, Michelle was the first lady of the United States. She was married to a black man and is married to a black man. This woman did not steal a white person's slot or spot. Okay. She simply stepped into her own limelight and spotlight. Hmm. She graduated from Harvard law and Princeton, two of the most prestigious schools in the country. She plays the piano. She writes books. She's a mother. Listen, do not come for her unless she sends for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even, I don't have time to go into all of the accomplishments of Katunji Brown Jackson and, and all of the other black women, but suffice it to say, the only person lacking brain processing power is Charlie Kirk for publicly saying something this outrageous and ignorant. Well, that's about as hot a take as as anyone's ever going to hear. So we appreciate that <laughs> much. I, I'm I could, still clapping. I'm still clapping. As you should be. As you should be. I'm glad. I'm glad I was here to witness it. <laughs> uh, John, you, I mean, we got to We got to get your thoughts, too, man. So let's, yeah, I, that's a lot. To, that's a know. tough act to follow. But <laughs> I was just about to say, man, I don't know exactly how to follow that up, but sure. I will approach it from a slightly different angle. Okay. And I will quote uh, Maya Angelou. When people show you who they are, believe, believe them. them. This yeah. is nothing new. This is nothing extraordinary. This is nothing shocking or, or, or any kind of a shock jock value. When the other side says things like this mm-hmm. and, and, and they say things like this, it's going to continue and it's going to happen for a very long time. Is it right? No, it's not. But as Nicole was saying, uh, my fellow BIN anchor, w- the things that black women are accomplishing and the things that our, our culture and our people are accomplishing uh, I think Michelle Obama said it. When they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's it's one of my favorite things to say. And I'm doing a lot of quotes uh, early this this morning. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite quotes is when sometimes people there's a stark difference between making noise and wielding actual influence. There's a very stark difference between making noise and wielding actual influence. What uh, Kirk is saying is 
making noise mm -hmm. and not wielding any actual influence because yeah. people like Kirk, Kirk and, and others like him are, <clears throat> excuse me, are they're, they're going to say this and they're going to keep doing this. And it's just noise. Mm -hmm. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going. We know the level that we are operating on. Sure. And we just, yes, we got to talk about it. And yes, we have to bring it to the forefront. And yes, we have to make sure that people know, hey, that's not right. You can't say those kinds of things. At the same time, Ramses, who, excuse me, who gives a damn? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's, let's keep it moving and let's, let's keep doing what we're doing. That 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 really it it holds no weight or no value in our community. And shout out to uh, the Divine Nine. Justice Katanji Brown uh, was just inducted into Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Shout out to my mom; <laughs> she's one of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, so uh, is a Delta. Oh, boom! There we go. So you know, noise and influence—that's noise. Okay, okay, very good. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Um, this is just kind of the background chatter that people like this use to continue to feed that deeply conservative, often enough hateful uh, facet of the population that really kind of needs this stuff in order to justify their anger for perhaps not um, attaining the amount of wealth or power or influence that they had hoped when they were young. Um, but there is something to, to, pay attention to here. And um, I think, I think you said it best, Nicole, that he got on a national platform. Yeah. And so for the people that need this, this alternate reality to be true, he kind of feeds that fire and allows them to feel like they're not being racist. They, they get to feel like they're being good people. They feel like maybe this isn't hate, it's frustration. They get to feel these things because people like Charlie Kirk give them a version of reality that's palatable for them and digestible for them. We all know, of course, that the proof is in the pudding, right? We all know that based on his statement, by it, so we can start there, his statement that, that these women stole slots of prominence from white males we can see the sense of white male entitlement like the 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 basis of that statement uh presupposes that those slots rightfully belong to white people and black people right. were stealing them right so we, we could start there privilege. and 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 that would be plenty but when you take it a bit further you recognize that, you know, obviously there's been this attack on affirmative action and, and a major setback. Um, we, we covered that, all of us, um, when the Supreme Court kind of repealed uh, some of the uh, protections afforded to our communities by affirmative action, some of the access, I should say. Well, um, these women show that affirmative action is positive. And again, the, the proof is, is in the pudding. The proof is in the outcomes. Okay. So he put up a post, uh, Charlie Kirk put up a post and it says, this is, this is his post. Me, Joy Reid, Sheila Jackson Lee and Michelle Obama used race to take school spots away from more deserving people. Media. Oh my God. Can you believe what Charlie Kirk said? Um, so his position is he's quoting, uh, 
Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, Michelle Obama, and Joy Reid. Joy, Joy Reid's quote was, just so that we're being fair, I got into Harvard only because of affirmative action. Michelle Obama's quote is, I wasn't supposed to go to Princeton because my high school counselors said my test scores were too low. Um, and then Sheila Jackson Lee says, I rise today as a clear recipient of affirmative action. So he's quoting them and then trying to say, why is the media mad at me? Because I quoted what they said. Right. So this is he's hiding behind this. But I would challenge his position even now, because first off, some of affirmative action programs, they would actually go in to the community and find black children. And offer them a path to. Uh, these prestigious institutions where they could really turn their lives into something as illustrated by, you know, people like Michelle Obama saying that her counselors said that her grades were too low, not Princeton, not Harvard. Her counselor said that a, and then B we know that uh, grades aren't the only determining factor when it comes to admissions into these schools as illustrated by legacy admissions. Because there's plenty of white men who get into these schools and their grades aren't that great, but it's because they had a grandfather or a father or they have some, the school has some benefactor or something that's related to them or some other set of circumstances. So grades aren't the only determining factor. Outcomes, if anything, should be able to tell the story. Does affirmative action lead to positive outcomes for black people and black communities? And if we look at it through that lens, I think we're having a different conversation. So to your point, John, it's absolutely noise. But to your point, Nicole, it's noise that people are paying attention to. And I'm glad that we have the opportunity here to at least address it, even if it doesn't move us beyond just kind of what we know. It's just blatant ignorance. But it does deserve context for those people who might be inclined to follow this line of thinking. So can I say can I say one thing, Ramsey? Please. Uh, so I am actually working at Harvard for this summer right mm-hmm. now. Like literally as we speak, I'm working for Harvard. Uh, I, I'm uh, the creative assistant and uh, head TA for the marketing management class for the uh, Harvard summer school. So I am entrenched in this whole and we have people I have to be very careful when I speak about this, but we have the eyes in the sky that are watching the class that are making sure that things are going the right way Mm -hmm. because Harvard was just recently in this lawsuit. Right. Mm -hmm. So although I'm not attending Harvard as a student, I am on the faculty side of things. I'm seeing things from a different light and a different just perspective and point of view when it comes to everything that's happening right now. And Sometimes, Ramses, I I just don't see what ev- what everybody else is is talking about because I I shouldn't be helping to teach at Harvard right now, but I am. You know what I mean? Mm. So it, it's I'm I'm seeing things a little differently, and I just I I do not subscribe to and believe that this ultimate big you know, big brother, crazy racism is just holding us down like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I, I'm a living example. That is not. Hmm. Hmm. All right. We'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into that more, but I just had to <laughs> sprinkle that on you. Right. Sure. Quick. Sure. Sure. Black information network news anchors, John Marshall and Nicole deal are here with us discussing this week's major stories. 
All right. Well, let's move on for now. Um, now, this one is a story, another story from our you can't make this stuff up files. So um, I think this is you'll find this interesting, John, uh, a black filmmaker who recently made a documentary on police brutality. Ended up getting tased in his own home after calling the police to report a burglary. So, John, let's start with you. Why don't you give us the details on this story? And of course, naturally, we're going to follow up with you, Nicole, but it'd be great to start with you, John. Okay, cool. So I will just follow up uh, with what you said and just give a brief uh, summary about the story. Mm -hmm. So a black filmmaker and actor who was working on his documentary about, like you said, Ramses, police brutality is suing the LAPD. What? That's just suing an LAPD in black don't belong in the same sentence after he called the police to report a burglary at his own home and he was tased by the cops. His name is Damian Smith and he filed the lawsuit seeking damages. And this was back in October of I want to say 2021. Mm -hmm. So let me just start with this and I won't Harper go on too long. Yeah. Number one. Why are you calling? Well, OK, let me let me do this the right way. Yes, if somebody breaks into your home and they are there, yes, the right thing that you are supposed to do is call the police. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about the Los Angeles Police Department. We're talking mm -hmm. about LAPD. And you're making, come on, man, we live in the matrix. You are making a documentary about police brutality. So mm -hmm. you don't think that when you call them and you need some help that they're going to come to you and just uh, and Superman or Batman with you. Absolutely not. Mm. That man was tased. He was probably berated that he was probably uh, who knows what really truly went on. But you can't. T.I. said it best. You cannot expect your oppressors to be your liberators. Mm. So the fact that he thinks that I'm going to call LAPD again, which is what you're supposed to do in order to help him out when somebody's burglarizing his home or, or, or for anything. It just blows my mind. You're making a, a documentary about police brutality. And I try to live in reality, Ramses. And if I'm making a documentary about police brutality, I'm not calling the police when something goes down like that because they've been they're going to pull up and it's not going to be pretty. And to be honest with you, <sighs> I, I'm not going to say he, he didn't deserve it, but what else can you expect? If you're making a, 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 a comic view or comedy central roast about me, I'm not going to be your best friend afterwards. You're making a documentary about police brutality and then you call us. Okay. Yeah, we got you. So mm. uh, just, you know, stupid games, stupid prizes. Wow. All right. <laughs> Nicole. Uh, Nicole, that's a that's a tough act to follow there so <laughs> what you got for us? oh man i mean my question for john is what's the alternative right if i'm a tax-paying citizen and i live in this county and and i see a burglar in my home listen i'm either armed and i'm gonna protect myself or i'm gonna call the police or both i mean so what's the alternative right this is a game called you can't win okay the irony of this situation is is definitely not lost on me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But unfortunately, in this country, black men and, and women, too, for that matter, are having these types of encounters with police every day. Mm. And 
because we all have cameras on our cell phones and we all have access to social media platforms, now those incidents are being recorded, documented, and viewed all over the world. But that's that wasn't the case 30 years ago or 40 or 50 years ago, but that's, the, that's where we stand today. Just take George Floyd, for example. The reason that case blew up and and conversely, one of the reasons I believe uh, Chauvin was convicted is because of all the video that the entire world was able to witness and watch over and over and over again. Listen, Damian Smith said this. He, he said he believed there was a racial component to the whole situation. Well, duh. You know, I mean, I fully agree with that. I have to believe that this black man who is also a filmmaker is articulate enough to say, Hey, police, this is my house. Please don't tase me. I'm not the burglar. I'm, I, I'm thinking he can say that fast enough and articulate enough <clears throat> to avoid being tased three times, not once, not twice, but three times the most egregious thing about this for me is that it happened in his own home. It reminds me of um, a Tatiana Jefferson, the black woman who was killed in her home in Fort Worth. The police were supposed to be doing a welfare check, but they killed her. You know, my oh, question Brianna, is they, they killed Brianna while she was asleep. Exactly. Exactly. So if you cannot be safe in your own home when you are the one that calls the police, then where can you be safe? Mm -hmm. I mean, the situation he went through, it's sad. It's unfortunate. It happened. I just hope that there's a silver lining here because A, he's not dead. Okay. So yep. he's already uh, doing better than a whole lot of other black men and women that this has already happened to. He's still here to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I hope he can use this terrible encounter with the police to fuel something more creative and riveting and, and do more documentaries and pour his experience into some other projects in the future. Yeah. yeah. What well, Nicole I, movie's I, gonna be popping. I, I <laughs> exactly. want to I want to answer your, your question. And you said, what is he supposed to do? Like, like what, what are the options? And living as a black man uh, and, or and or a black woman in this life, I, I subscribe to the method that you have to play the game. You have to know the rules. And once you win the game, then you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You, you can't you can't. Uh, make documentaries about the police and then call the police. So your your question was, what are you supposed to do? Number one, own a gun. Uh, own a gun because that that burglar, however he subdued him or whatever like that, you you own a gun. Number one, and then and you neutralize the threat. You're good to go, and then you move forward from there. But we, as this is my personal opinion. We as black men, we cannot depend on the police to make sure that we are OK, we are safe, we are taken care of, and they will uh, serve and protect, which is what they're supposed to do with us and our people and our families. So I, I operate off of a survival kind of mindset where we're not we're not calling the police. I will handle this myself 
and we're good to go. And you have to really operate in reality. You have to operate in reality. And when you're making documentaries about police brutality, those same police officers, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, it, it really doesn't matter. Those same police officers are going to come to you. They're going to know exactly who you are, exactly what you're doing. And that thin blue line, they're going to be on their side of that. They're not going to be on your side, especially being a black man. So it's kind of like, what, what did you expect when you called them? So own right. a gun, number one, and just, you know, be 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 a little bit more cognizant uh, about what, what you got going on. Again, being burglarized is not his fault at all. But yeah. uh, let me right. let me say this. And John, let me say this. That, that goes back to what I was just one quick point, Ramses. That goes back to what I said before. You keep referring to it as a game. And again, this is a game called you can't win, because even if I own a gun and I shoot an intruder in my own home, I'm still going to be stigmatized. I'm still going to get questioned. I'm still going to have a dead body in my home. And that is traumatizing. That is traumatic. I have to deal with that for the rest of my life. Every time I walk into this room, I have to remember, oh, yeah, there was a dead body here uh, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. So now I'm still affected. So, again, this is a game called you can't win because guess what? The one thing I can't change in any of these scenarios, I'm black. Yeah. That's not going to change. All right. Let me let me add this. I, I don't want to we, we have a couple more stories I don't want to get to, but I do want to provide some some final thoughts. Um, the first thing is, you know, I, I understand what it is you're trying to say, John, I, I get it. And the reason I get it is because I am an activist and the police know me in my city. And I recognize that it'd be difficult slash problematic for me to, uh, depend on them if I needed them. Um, and so typically if I need anything, I, I have a process that I go through, um, but for the most part, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And I don't need a gun. Um, the second thing is that this man, he did he didn't have a gun. You know, guns in California are a little tricky, but right, yeah. he did have a knife and he did have the, the the he cut the man and the man was laying on the floor and he hovered over the man, called 911. Bad guys right here. Good guys here wearing this. Neighbors were all out. Neighbors knew what what happened. And he stood there. And interacted with the police the way any normal citizen should. Now, this this one incident, I think that uh, what you're referring to is perhaps a worst case scenario. Um, and so I understand right, that yeah. you are pre pre uh, presenting an alternative version of this where uh, calling the police doesn't really make a lot of sense. But to that, uh, as Nicole pushed back and as I would push back, I would say that there is no way the it, it's it's a lot more problematic i believe if the police show up and find a dead body in your house than if police show up and say hey good guys here bad guys here this is what the good guys wearing this is what the bad guys wearing you know i surrendered the weapon blah 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 and then get tased a bunch of times right that's that shouldn't be the reality for him to say that race played a factor is absolutely conceivable uh in my estimation i know that you said that racism didn't hold you back and I and I love that. I think that that's a very special um, reality to live with. And that shows that well, our right. ancestors hang on, hang on. Right. That shows that our ancestors have had meaningful impacts uh, on different areas of our lives. Right. 
Because once upon a time, had you been born a little bit earlier, guess what? You'd have been a slave to the same as the rest of us. So the fact that the reality has changed <laughs> means that, you know, some of what what our forefathers have worked for has come into manifestation. But I think that for the most part, most of us realize that there are examples of us. I'm I'm one of them, right? Where racism doesn't affect me the way that it might affect other people. You can hear it when I'm talking to you, right? But I also recognize the circumstances of my birth. My father was a brilliant man. I was born looking the way that I look with the access that I had, right? Not everybody's born that way. And perhaps the primary strike against them is that they were black. I've been able to either overcome that or uh, been able to maneuver in such a way to where it hasn't been used against me to the degree that it may have been used against other black people. I recognize that reality and I recognize that other people are may not be as fortunate, but they may be as black. And so it's that that I push back against. It's not the fact that I'm saying all black people are victims. I would never say that. But I do recognize that there are systemic issues in place. I have done the research. I have the research. We could talk about the research again and again and again. In fact, I might like that idea. But um, the fact is there are factors. There's there's economic factors. There's there's criminal justice system factors. There's healthcare factors. There's environmental factors. The list goes on and on and on that privilege the less melanated and harm the more melanated. You're going to give me examples all day and I will I will see that there are Michael Jordans and Oprah's and Obama's and all that sort of stuff. But when we look at the numbers, the numbers support exactly what it is that I'm describing here. This issue with this filmmaker should not have taken place. It would not have taken place if he was a white filmmaker, in my estimation, making the same documentary. It is not wrong to question authority. It is not wrong to question the laws. Once upon a time, the laws were different. We then found out that the laws were wrong, right? Slavery. Imagine if he would have been pushed, making a documentary on slavery. Slavery was bad, you know, and the police show up and beat him up. And now we look back and say, yeah, slavery was bad. The police shouldn't have beat him up. So for now, we should not be victim blaming him. At the minimum, we should be waiting for this to resolve itself, hopefully in his film. But I do understand where it is that you're coming from. I do understand what it is you're trying to say. And I recognize that calling the police when you are on this side of the exactly uh, of the um, activism, <laughs> as I am, it can be a little little tricky and a little sticky. So I have to leave that there. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Black Information Network news anchors John Marshall and Nicole Deal are here with us discussing this week's major stories. All right. Some positive news surfaced this week (laughs) through a new Pew Research survey that suggests black adults in the U.S. are feeling more optimistic about their financial future. Uh, Nicole, you cover financial news on the BIN. Give us some background and uh, reaction on the story. And then, of course, John, we would love to hear from you as well. Definitely. All right. I'm, I'm going to come at you with a lot of statistics and percentages, do so don't fall asleep on me. I'm, I'm right uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> the study was done by the Pew Research Center, um, indicating that 68% of Black adults in the U.S. do not have enough money to support the lifestyle that they want. And that translates to all sorts of stuff like living in a house versus an apartment, the kinds of cars you drive, the food, uh, the food you eat. I mean, but but there are some good news. Uh, the silver lining is that the study also revealed that 58% of Black adults are optimistic that they will earn enough money in the future to lead the life that they want. Uh, and there's definitely some correlation between Blacks that are college educated compared to those who are not. Mm-hmm. So uh, 43% of Black adults with at least a bachelor's degree say they do earn enough to support their desired life. But by the same token, only 26% of Black adults without a bachelor's degree say the same thing. Mm. So um also, expectedly, uh, Black adults with lower incomes don't have the that same confidence. So it's 49% in the lower income bracket say they will earn enough money in the future, not right now, but in the future. And then 49% say they will not, you know, but again, these are people that are right now in a lower income bracket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the magic number seems to be at least $100,000 a year to yeah. live the kind of life that they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, I'll just say that 40% of Black adults surveyed say that is how much they need, $100,000 a year, sure. uh, how much they need to live the life that they want to live. Sure, sure. John, your thoughts? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So just a, a couple things and I'll make them quick. Um, uh, Nicole, thank you for all of those uh, statistics because I, I didn't know a lot of that. And Ramses, as you uh, kind of touched on and your last what, what you were saying uh, a couple of minutes ago my, my upbringing and my my thought process is a little different and first of all a hundred thousand dollars a year uh whether you net or you gross that's a lot of money that's a lot of money especially for black people and i am the first person to say that post-secondary school education aka uh, your associates your bachelors your masters your phd any of those things is crucial for 90 to 95 percent of black people we we just we have to work two three four times harder than our white counterparts our asian counterparts our anybody else our uh, native counterparts to make uh, a living and make the life that we want to live but in order to make a hundred grand you got to be pulling in to net a hundred grand you got to gross about 138 or at least here in georgia that's a lot of money and you have to have the skill set and you have to have the the education in order to do that so i love the fact that the optimism and i'm the biggest optimist ever almost a, a, a dreamer that, mm -hmm. that just wants to save the world at some times and at other times I just want to go on my little corner. But mm -hmm. I love the fact that black people are optimistic and we are moving forward because I, we have to think that way and we have to move that way because we're not going to be given any handouts for real, like real handouts. We're not going to be given any handouts like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, there's the whole reparations talking movement and everything like that. And uh, do I believe we should get them? Yeah, maybe sort of. That's another conversation for another time. But <laughs> we have to. Yeah, yeah. I see you smiling. <laughs> we 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 have to remain optimistic and push forward. And I am just the biggest advocate of, hey, we have to be our own biggest supporters and our own biggest providers in order to get ourselves into a better position. So the fact that we are feeling optimistic is a great thing that I, I, I love to hear and that I want to hear because that that is the lifestyle that, that I subscribe to personally. Yeah, yeah. You know- Can uh, I say one thing? Yeah, please. I just, I just wanted to, you said something very interesting to me. You said $100,000 is a lot of money and I, I'm probably gonna get some hate mail, but I, I just don't really fully agree with that. Um, I think- that amount of money is relative no seriously i mean i i'm not saying that it's it's yeah in new york that's that's, that's yeah it, it depends yeah, on where you live and, and, <laughs> uh, yeah so anyway i just wanted to break it's in relative and I, I i know i know what you're both saying i i get it i understand yeah um you know what there there's uh there's something special here you i i think you both know that um i i come from radio and I'm a DJ as well. And so I, I kind of want to cue up some sounds of blackness and play that optimistic. <laughs> I don't know if, cue, if, if Chris will let me uh, uh, cue it up, but, you know, um, that's how I'm feeling right now. But anyway, these statistics, uh, they feel very special. And I think it's a testament to the entrepreneurial element that is very prominent in black life in America. John, I think that you touched on this. Um, a lot of times we're going to have to figure out alternative paths to success, to the American dream. This is 
why so many other things might be appealing to us when we're young. Um, we see, relatively speaking, narrow examples of success, either in this field or walking this path or whatever. And a lot of it is self-made. A lot of it is entrepreneurial. Um, there's not a lot of it when it comes to um, the traditional paths that, as you mentioned, our uh, Caucasian brothers and sisters tend to follow, which is let's keep going to school until we get that master's degree and then get that high paying job. Again, a path that I followed, my master's degree is hanging on the wall uh, at my house. Um, but uh, for most of us, that is very difficult. It's difficult to come from circumstances where you're trying to choose between, okay, where am I going to get clothes? I'm embarrassed to go to school because I had to wear this yesterday. I'm hungry. I can't focus. Um, I have problems at home. Where am I going to stay? I have to get a job and help my family. These sorts of things that really limit uh, a lot of stories from reaching their full potential. And so um, to know that this entrepreneurial component is part and parcel to many people, uh, people's lives and their stories, like, okay, I'm doing this, but I got this on the side. Okay, I'm doing this, but I got a little hustle I'm working on, or I'm doing this, but I'm starting a business, you know, that sort of stuff. And I'm sure that this is this is not exclusive to black people, but I find that it's it's a very prominent uh sort of narrative for for black folks to be doing something and then doing something else in hopes that the something else will ultimately determine uh, the outcomes in their life. And I think the numbers support that. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see this. And obviously um, I'd love to follow this and see what the outcomes are because even optimism on its face, it, it shows a version of reality and a, and a facet of black people that I think needs to be shown that we're resilient that we are moving forward, we continue to move forward, and we are not victims, <laughs> not at all, because you would see that reflected in, in this narrative that we're discussing now. And so um, we'll leave that there and move on. Uh, finally, some Black history happened this week. Uh, of course, in Chicago, Reverend Jesse Jackson announced he's stepping down as head of the Rainbow Push Coalition. John, let's start with you this time. Give us the, de the details on this announcement and your reactions. And then, uh, of course, Nicole, we'll, we'll close out with you. All right, cool. I will give us a little blurb about what happened. Uh, I will start off with saying Jesse Jackson is 81, so it was about time for him to step on down because mm -hmm. we need new blood and some new life. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the story is concerned, the Reverend Jesse Jackson steps down as the president of the Rainbow Push Coalition, which is the civil rights organization that was founded around 1996, which is when the Olympics happened in Atlanta. Uh, Jackson's legacy of activism was honored at the coalition's annual convention in Chicago over this last weekend with Vice President Kamala Harris and other prominent Democrats in attendance. So in Vice President Harris's remarks, she described Reverend Jesse Jackson as one of America's greatest patriots and someone who deeply believes in the promise of our country. And um, I think it's appropriate. I think that it is a... I'm really big on Ramses passing the baton on to the next generation. I'm a millennial. Sure. So the, 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 I'm going to go off track just a little bit here, but the, the people that hold office for, you know, 30, 40 years, and, and especially those offices where you don't have to be voted in, you're kind of appointed and you just hold it forever. Uh, 
I'm a big proponent of passing the baton on. We have baby boomers, which Jesse Jackson is in that uh, that category that need to and have to pass the baton on to the next generation. So the fact that he's stepping down, I love, but mm -hmm. I love it for a few reasons. I love it for number one, he's getting old for number two, passing the baton down to the next generation. And for number three, showing everybody else, especially in our community that, Hey, look, it's okay to pass it on to the next generation and to let them uh, do their thing and to let them continue this fight and this push for our culture and our people, all of that, because that does not happen. Once we get into a place of power, we hold on to it and we die in office, man. So I, I love what Jesse Jackson is doing. I may not love Jesse Jackson. 100 but i love what he's doing with this right here and i believe it's the right decision and i'm in full support of it. wonderful nicole let's get your thoughts absolutely uh first and foremost i love the attention that was given to this story mm -hmm. and to the event uh in chicago this is a beautiful example of black excellence and character and order um, it's it's political, but it's so much more than that. Right. Um, and I agree, fully agree with John. This is the passing of the baton. I mean, uh, I used to run track and when we ran relays, I'd have to reach my arm back without looking. You know, you got to keep that stride going and say stick, you know, and wait for the other person to hand, hand you the baton. And of course, the goal was not to drop it. Right. And I think that metaphor is just a perfect example of what we all had the opportunity to witness from Reverend Jesse Jackson passing that baton to Reverend Freddie Haynes. I love the quote by uh, by Reverend Haynes the third. He he was giving tribute to the Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. and he said, "I stand here on his shoulders, shoulders yeah, because no one with sense would try to stand in his shoes. Mm -hmm. His shoes are too, too large." Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh, how that was just so beautifully said to me." Um, I believe Reverend Haynes is highly capable. Um, you know, he's an advocate in his own right. His nickname is the drum major for justice. You know, I believe he understands the assignment and he's going to carry that mantle that embodies the same principles, the same spirit, same disciplines that that Jesse Jackson demonstrated for decades. Um, and, and I just look forward to see what he's going to do for the for black communities all across the country. Sure. It's a very exciting time. Um we're going to leave that right there. I do want to say one thing just because I have the microphone and the opportunity to do so. Um, the Rainbow Push Coalition, while founded in 96, um, actually, I believe it was founded in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I think it combined in 96. I think that's what happened. Um, it was inspired by the Rainbow Coalition, which was founded in 1969 by Fred Hampton, who is perhaps my favorite activist, uh, civil rights icon. And um, anytime... I get a chance to mention Fred Hampton and the Rainbow Coalition. I take advantage. Uh, but I want to thank you both very much for your time and your insight, as always. Um, Nicole, very uh, passionate uh, conversation today. Um, I love opening with you. Yeah, and we, we could keep on clapping. I love that. And John, as always, um, you and me, I love trading blows with you, man. Uh, it's a very special time to have you on the show. I hope that we get to do it again very soon. Once again, today's guests are Black Information Network news anchors, John Marshall and Nicole Deal. 
This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media, and I'll be hosting another episode of Civic Cypher this weekend on a station near you. For stations, showtimes, and podcast info, check civiccypher.com. And join us Monday as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.